at the end we all write a sermon together and contribute our thoughts and um, put together a sermon. So this is a sermon that came out of one of those uh, pastors' brainstorm meetings last weekend, the weekend before. And so I'm going to bring that to you this morning. I believe it's relevant and helpful for us out of 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15. Just begin this morning by uh, talking about some interesting stories to come out of the the bomb explosion there in Bangkok. And uh, many of you would know that um, on Monday night, last Monday night, 7 p.m., there was a bomb explosion in Bangkok at a shrine there. And uh, there's a reportedly uh, 22 people died and um, another uh, perhaps hundreds, they say, uh, injured, some badly, some not so badly, uh, but over 100 injured. Yet at the scene, um, many, many articles are talking about how people literally rushed to help victims. That there, this is this, um, I believe it was a Hindu shrine, I think, if I have the story correct. The people were there and, uh, you know, just putting flowers and things. And there were foreigners, there's locals, there's various people there. And when this bomb went off and 22 people died, people were injured, there's blood everywhere, there's dust, dirt, explosion, that people literally ran in to try and help those victims. There were people who were helping put other people into ambulances and People actually taking people in their own cars, taking them to hospitals. There are others who were getting bottled water and handing it out for free and others just giving support to various family and friends and strangers that they never knew just wanted to help. The hospital, local hospital, announced to the media that they needed Chinese Thai interpreters and they were inundated with people, many volunteers, including tourists, who rushed to the hospital to help out. The taxi drivers were offering free rides for those who were injured to the hospitals. Uh, they called for blood donations. People started queuing up at the various points uh, to donate blood because they wanted to help. And the government made compensation payments um, uh, to victims available immediately after the attack. They said that they would cover all medical fees, workers' comp fees, uh, cover lost um, for lost belongings, and families of those killed would receive compensation payouts and funeral expenses all paid by the local government. And I was just reading through that article. It's quite a long list, and I summarized that down for you uh, into a very short summary. But it's something, there is something intrinsic in the human personality that deep down people have a desire to help. And when it's really needed, you know, people really are generous and helpful and considerate because God has built into the human personality a heart for people. And it's often not until we are faced with a crisis or get saved that these qualities actually emerge in individuals. I believe this crisis scene in Bangkok, it's a picture of the church. People with problems, others, people we see people helping the wounded. There are those that are hurting. There are those that are injured. There are those that are rescued. There are some being resuscitated, those that are dying and literally being brought back to life. The church is a scene where people are being helped by other people. 
Each doing their part, each doing what they can, people giving, people serving, people loving, people listening and counselling, people correcting and preparing people for another day. So I want to preach a sermon this morning called The Blessing of the Brethren. I want to read from 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15. I believe it has some revelation for us this morning. The Bible says this, Now we... Exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, and see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourself and for all. Amen. So let's look firstly this morning at the role of the brethren. Now there's an African proverb And the proverb says it takes a whole village to raise a child. And in general, this Nigerian uh, proverb, it conveys uh, the African worldwide view that emphasizes the values of family friendship, uh, family relationships, parental care, self-sacrificing concern for others. It speaks about sharing and even hospitality. This is a very, uh, very close to a biblical worldview as seen in scripture, in texts related to unity and cooperation. We can read about that in Ecclesiastes 4.9 and a mother's self-sacrificing love in Isaiah 49.15 and 16. And this highlights the critical role the body or the church, the people play in raising children and also those that are young in Christ. In Dallas, Texas, there was controversy over four security guards who had whipped some kids. Uh, whipped is an American term, means made them do push-ups and sit-ups and star jumps. And these kids, they broke into a mall and the security guards apprehended these kids, these teenagers, and made them do push-ups and sit-ups and star jumps And the parents of the kids said the guards had no right to discipline their kids. But the guards said they did it because the village raises the children. And these guards of African descent, they knew the African proverb. They understood something. It takes more than just a parent to instill something in the children. They understand a very important biblical principle of the role of the brethren the body, the people, the role of the brethren in raising up a church. The principle applies to the kingdom of God. The work of God requires the whole body of believers for it to grow. Ephesians 4.16 says, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by by, by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And the reality is, you know what? It takes more than God to raise up one of his children. Now, don't take that out of context this morning. And this is not because God couldn't do it if he wanted to. He has created us in such a way that we are uh, that we are read, read is the word, raised up in the context of other people. As children, children, those young in Christ, children were created to be brought up in family. How many know that's true? 
context that consists of a man and a woman, and it's a tragedy that that even needs to be said today in church. Perhaps brothers and sisters and maybe extended family, but even so, as the African proverb stated, the wider community play a key role in a child's development. Parents, uh, you know, the reality is parents' eyes cannot be everywhere. This is uh, why and where they need the support of others to be their eyes, to be their ears, to be their hands at various times. You know, on occasions we have taken our kids to the Easter show and especially when they were very small, uh, we would write their names and their phone numbers in big black pen right down their arms and uh, on the odd chance that they might get lost because the reality is if they get lost, what we need is we need somebody to bring them back. We want somebody to find them, read that phone number, call us up. We need somebody else to help us. Uh, amen. You know, when Luke was about 10, I know Luke loves these personal stories, but when Luke, when Luke was about 10, he had a friend. His name was Ryan, uh, good friends at school, and um, Ryan would come over to our house and play. And Luke, my son, and Ryan, his friend, they're, they're just, I don't know, maybe... I'll guess 10 years old. They're in the front yard and Luke and Ryan would get these acorn things, these little nuts off a tree, and they'd toss them over the front fence onto the road. And mostly when there were no cars coming. But one day they decided to bomb some cars. And so Luke and Ryan are there. They're hiding behind the big tree in our front yard. They'd come out, throw some things, and this car comes past. It hits the car and the car stops. Luke and Ryan disappear in a flash, run around the back of the house. The guy gets out of the car, this massive, big, burly-looking guy. He's got tattoos, bikey-looking guy. And he comes to the front door of our house and knocks on the door and wants to complain about somebody um, throwing things out onto the road. And, and when my wife realizes that he's not, he's not actually want to do any harm, he just wants to talk about it, she says to this guy, you know, do you mind if I just go and get the boys and you talk to them? And he said, no, no problem. So, you know, they're hiding in the backyard somewhere. So Joanne goes and finds Luke and Ryan, brings them to the front door, you know, and uh, this guy gave them an absolute serve in a kind of, you know, rough but polite kind of manner and uh, gave them a good rebuke about what they were doing. And I tell that story because, you know what, there are times when we need other people's help to provide valuable lessons which at times we can never ever give. You know, Deuteronomy 22.1 says, You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray. Hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother or how much more your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, out recently, one of the guys was, you know, one of the, I won't mention any names, but one of the guys was warning somebody else's children not to touch the things in a restaurant. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, you know, it, it is, there are times that we need a helping hand. No, eyes, are, you know, this is the eyes in the back of the head that you don't have. It's the blessing, the blessing of the brethren to help you, for God's children to grow up. Their need, 
there is a need for all of the brethren, the whole village, to play its part to do their role. Then our text, it says, Now we exhort you, brethren. Notice Paul is not just addressing the pastor. He's not writing to just one member of the church. The church isn't meant to be a solo ministry. The church is a body. It's a body. It's all of us. And he's writing to the church collectively as a group. Brethren means, the word brethren means out of the same womb. That is those of us who have been born again, has been begotten by God, born from above, out of the same womb of heaven. And together we must take responsibility for God's house and to see God's children grow. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12.25 says that all the members care for each other. And my brother, my sister here this morning, that you are called to take responsibility to love and care for each other and see that each other are maturing in God. Sometimes that requires sacrifice. Sometimes that requires service. Sometimes it requires saying things that are difficult. It's uh, These are teaching moments. It's care and concern. And above all, it's done in love. Colossians 2 2 says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Sometimes you speak the truth. Sometimes they are hard truths. But if they're spoken in love, it causes growth, the Bible says. It causes people to grow up in Christ. Amen. Having said that, Paul in our text, he calls the Thessalonian brethren to give special attention to some specific people and he mentions three types of people in our text. So let's look secondly at the rigors of people. Because Paul talks about three types of people and uh, you know, he, he addresses the, the, the needs of people. One man said life and ministry would be very easy if it wasn't for people. In every family, in every community, every group of people, there are the needy. There are ones who need special attention, sometimes a constant special attention. And as a school teacher, if, if you've ever been in a school, or, you know, for me, that's my background. But as school teaching, you're always aware of the difficult kids. And, you know, you can walk into a classroom of 30 kids and within seconds, you can identify who are the difficult ones. Who are the ones you need to watch out for? Who are the ones that you need to manage well? You know, I remember teaching, doing a day casual relief teaching at what I called Bass Hell High School. And I walked into the room and this year eight girl, um, year eight is what, 14? So the year eight girl, she, I'm, I go to the front desk, I sit down and she, uh, from the back of the room, she calls out to me, what in the blankety blank are you looking at? And so I said, uh, uh, I'm not sure. I didn't bring my dog book. I can't work it out. No, I didn't. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> That's what I wanted to say, but I didn't say that. It would have been funny. But, the, the, but you know what? You realize very quickly who are the ones 
who are the ones that you need to manage well? Because there are people who have needs. And, uh, you know, that's why, you know, there, there, there are others that have other disabilities and various. That's why we have support teachers in schools because people have specific needs they need to be taken care of. Pastor Theo told me that uh, many, um, many years ago, his dad, he was working for state buses and he suffered a heart attack on the job. And uh, when he got better, when his heart, when, you know, his body recovered a little, um, his employer couldn't just take him back to do his same old job. He uh, couldn't do the heavy jobs anymore. He had to find lighter duties for him. And my point is, he needed to receive special attention. This is true in God's family as well. God's family, there are those that need special attention from us from time to time. There are three. Certain people that need uh, attention, and our text clearly points to them. Let me point them out for you. Number one is the unruly. This word unruly, it can also mean the lazy or the idle or the disruptive or those who will not work. These are the ones who aren't carrying the load. These are the ones who are what we could call consumers and not contributors. They're not playing their part. They're not part of the village. They just come in and attend and shoot off. And sometimes the Bible says these people, they need some encouragement. They need to be, they need some help. They need some love. They need some care. They need some attention to get them to become part of what God is doing. These are people who are perhaps not motivated. Uh, they need some a little uh, a little attention to help them in that arena. And also, this word "unruly" can also mean can mean the misbehaving ones. And obviously, nobody here, of course. These are people who are creating problems for the church, and the brethren are told to warn them. The Amplified version says, "And we earnestly beseech you, brethren, admonish." or warn and seriously advise those who are out of line, the loafers, the disorderly, and the unruly. Or in other words, we don't put up with any kind of behavior in the house of God, and sometimes we have to address those that are unruly. Had two guys come to church drunk, sat through the service, answered the altar call, and at the end of the, uh, they came to the front, they're at, at the altar right in the middle, not in this church, in another church. Right in the middle, they prayed a sinner's prayer. And as the altar uh, began to subside, they stood up and uh, they uh, pressed their foreheads together, staying at the altar. Everyone else has gone back to their seats and they're staying there in the middle, um, perhaps a cultural thing, pressing their foreheads together and uh, standing there, and everyone else has gone back to their seat. The altar is over. And one of the ushers said, uh, guys, I just want to, you know, it's back to our seats. And uh, they said, we do it our way. We do it our way. Don't, wouldn't let anybody speak to them. And uh, how do you know that that's not right? It's not right. I had another guy tell me that, uh, that he is God. And others have told me they are Satan. They are. I think they are. I think he was. And, you know, someone, I say all that just simply to say, if someone tries to tell you something that is clearly unscriptural, you're expected to say something. You're expected to say something like, that's not right. You do that in love, in care for them, that you'd be able to correct them because the brethren must, must watch out for the unruly. Second type of person is the faint-hearted. 
That's those that are timid. Or the Bible says the disheartened, the ones who are perhaps afraid. And fear is a genuine and real factor in life uh, and it can be overwhelming. And their fear, some people's fear, has a great hold over them and it's robbing them of joy and victory and progress in the kingdom of God. The body of Christ is called to recognize such of those and comfort them, to encourage them, to help them. And one of the words that describes uh, uh, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is the word the comforter. That would comfort those that are faint-hearted. There are ones that need your time and your fellowship. There are those that need your prayers and somehow we, we must find a way to strengthen them that they may be encouraged. You know, people can be very, very encouraged even with a word. Just a word. You know, you can be so encouraged uh, and people, you say, hey man, it's great to see you here this morning. People can be, you know, it's a great job this morning. Well done. Uh, great to see you doing that. You, you know, and, uh, you know, people can be very encouraged just to say, you know what? I'm praying for you. Glad you're here. You have to encourage the faint hearted. And the third group of people is the weak. It says those that are feeble or fragile, without strength, maybe sick, without power. And these are often, we see this in new converts and, uh, they often fall into this category. Uh, and if you consider a newborn animal, and what easy prey they make for a predator. Perhaps a lion, for example, small deer, antelope, whatever, baby born, is a, make simple prey for a lion. There's no different to the newborn Christians, uh, to, the, to the wolves and to the lions that seek to devour them, uh, to the many temptations that are in life. There's so many things that are trying to take them out. The Bible says we must uphold them. Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs. The New Living Translation says, take tender care of those who are weak. The Amplified Version says, help and give your support to weak souls. See, I want to encourage you this morning. We need to be all eyes and ears and hands when it comes to young believers. You have to consider yourself, is, is anybody with them? You know, you wouldn't have a baby, a newborn baby, and just leave the baby. And say, well, God will bring him, God will bring him to church tomorrow. Is anybody with them? Is anybody taking care of them? We shouldn't have a new believer. We shouldn't have a guest in our service standing on their own by themselves. You ought to be thinking, you know, who's talking to them? Are they okay? What state are they in? Do they leave early? Do they shoot off? Do they need attention? Are they in fellowship? And if not, if they're not here, has anybody contacted them to see if they're okay? And so the last thing I want to quickly look at with you this morning is the reality of patience. Because working with people requires, if you haven't worked it out already, a great deal of patience. Patience is not the ability to wait, but the ability to keep a good attitude while waiting. Whenever it comes to relationships, patience must be an absolute priority. The very thing that Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, uses to describe God's agape love is patience. He says love is patient. 
And in our text is be patient with all. And because we can be prone to compassion fatigue. You'd be prone to compassion fatigue, working with people, loving people, caring for people, picking people up, following people up, calling people. We can be prone to compassion fatigue, but Jesus implores us to be patient. We must exercise patience because people don't react or respond the way we would like them to or in the time we would like them to. We want them, we, I mean, we, we're in, we are impatient. We want people to get it now. Understand it now, to work it out now, and not everybody works it out now. We're not careful. If we're impatient, we can blow people away. People need room. People need time. They need a place to grow and to change. And we call this grace. Patience is a component of grace. I often say to people, you need to find your pace and your place in the kingdom of God. As long as you keep coming, God will help you. When we lose patience, we forget that God is working even in ways that we cannot see. When we try and take the place of the Holy Ghost and tell people what to do and get frustrated when they don't grow as quickly as we'd like to see them grow, uh, we forget who God is. Our place is to love them and be patient while God does the changing. We can't, I mean, no, you can't make people change. Cannot make, only God can do that. When you're tempted to lose patience with someone, think how patient God has been with you. Over and over and over again. Second Peter 3.99, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. Or in other words, so patient towards us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is possible if you would maintain your patience. Have patience with people. And uh, speaking this morning about the blessing of the brethren. And uh, what, is, uh, what, what, what a blessing it is to have the brethren of God who would serve, love, and care for people and see the church grow. Amen. Let's bow our heads this morning. We're going to close in a word of prayer. Heads about, eyes are closed just for a moment. I want to pray and close this service. Before we open these altars in a time of prayer, which we need to do, we need to come and pray and get God to help us be the brethren that we need to be. I want to ask you firstly, maybe you're here, you're visiting with us for the first time, you're not saved, you're not right with God, you're not born again, you don't have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never invited Jesus into your life and asked him to forgive you of your sin. And this morning, you know, you recognize that is you. You recognize by the Holy Spirit speaking to you that, that you've got sin in your life. You've not repented. I'm not asking you whether you've joined, been in a church, carry a Bible, even prayed some sort of prayer before. I'm asking you, have you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, forgive you of your sin? Asked him to change you. You would turn away from your sin and he would change you and make you a new creation. If that's you this morning and you want prayer for salvation, you want Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and wash you clean. If that's you, would you quickly raise your hand and say, yes, that's me, Pastor. I need your prayer this morning. Quickly raise it up. Amen. I see that hand. 
Who else this morning? You want to pray and acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Quickly, raise it up. Who else would get saved? Give your life to Jesus. Quickly, raise your hand. Say, I need forgiveness. I'm a sinner at heart. And I need Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Maybe you're backslidden this morning. That is your once. Maybe you once even prayed a prayer like, Lord, I'm a sinner. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin and change me. You prayed a prayer like that once, but today you realize you're not right with God. You realize you've slidden backwards. You've slid away. You've moved backwards. You're not right with God. You want to be. You want prayer for forgiveness. You're backslidden in your heart. You've allowed sin deliberately to come into your life. You want to repent. That's you. Quickly, lift up your hand. Say, yes, that's me. Would you pray for me? Backslidden, unsaved, backslidden away from God. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray this morning and uh, get God to move in our lives, come to an order and do business with God. I want to pray. If you lifted your hand, I want you to come forward, come and pray a prayer at the altar this morning. Have somebody come with you. Good on you, Jess. Well done. God bless you. Amen. You can just kneel down there and Joanne's going to come and pray with you. God bless you. Amen. We want to open these altars this morning in a time of prayer and ask God to help us at the altar. Let's all stand this morning. Let's all stand. Let's come forward, find a place to pray, come to an an altar. Hallelujah. Oh, God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the brethren. We thank you for the contribution of every member of this church. God, you'd help us be self-sacrificing. Oh, God, be long-suffering, patient, and endure, God, for the sake of others, Lord, that we could see people rise up and grow. People grow in the things of God. Help us, every individual, Lord. God, we thank you that we can come to an altar this morning. Make a sacrifice at this altar. Sacrifice the flesh. Sacrifice our time, sacrifice our life, our finances, resources, all for the kingdom of God this morning. Oh, we thank you, God, by the Holy Ghost. Convict our hearts, convict our souls, our lives, Lord God. We need the presence of God to move forward this morning. God, help us. Oh, God, to be patient. Oh, to be used, oh God, to be used by you. We surrender ourselves to be used by you. That we can make a contribution, God. Be part of the church. Be part of the village that helps raise up the younger ones. That helps see them grow and develop in the kingdom of God. God, use our testimony. Hallelujah. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely. You're all together Oh yes, God help us this morning. God, by the Holy Ghost, 
I pray for your blessing, God, upon every man, every woman, every family, every household that labors and contributes and works, oh God. I pray, God, I pray your covering and favor, God, upon every person. Oh, hallelujah. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. So here I am to worship, here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful. Hallelujah. Let's tell him how wonderful he is this morning in praise. Oh God, we thank you, the great and mighty God. I thank you for your your grace towards us, God, that we can exalt and honor your name this morning. God, we thank you for all that you're doing here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you. We have a tremendous a brothers and sisters in Christ here in this congregation, in this body of believers. Nevertheless, there's an exhortation to grow and expand and help the younger ones and, and perhaps people who are not even here today. And We want to help them to grow up and be like you, mature in the faith, be saved and born again. Amen. Praise God. Let's bow our heads this morning. I want to go in a word of prayer. ask if Adrian would close the service today. Amen. Good morning. God bless you. Have a great day. See you.